Welcome to Engage Arizona. Public policy affects all of our lives, often in very profound ways. One of Center for Arizona Policy's main objectives is to inform and educate Arizonans about what's going on at the state capitol and in local governments that impact their lives. If you care about the preborn and their mothers, your rights as a parent, what freedoms are at risk, or how new laws touch your family, we're talking about it. And we invite you to join us as we discuss the latest developments you are not likely to learn from local and national news. Join us now as we unpack the week's developments in Arizona public policy. Welcome to Engage Arizona. I'm Cindy Dahlgren, here again with Kathy Harrod and Lisa Brugg. We are still so very excited, just still celebrating a big win just moments ago at the state capitol. Uh, right now, though, we are honored to have with us Senator Nancy Bartow, who sponsored Senate Bill 1457 that just passed and is on the way to the governor's desk. So uh, welcome, Nancy. Thank you. Glad to be here and glad to be celebrating today. Amen. This is Kathy Harrod. And, you know, first we have to say thanks be to God and praise be to God that we always want to acknowledge that the work we do, unless it is blessed and anointed by God, that um, we know with him all things are possible, but we also know that, that we need his wisdom in all things. And so we're grateful today to be rejoicing over this pro-life bill making its way to Governor Ducey. So, Senator Bartow, let's start with... Um, why, what, what made you want to support, I mean, or sponsor, not just support, but sponsor 1457? What, what in the bill is, really stood out to you as being critical moving forward in our state? Well, we're, we're always looking for ways where we can make progress and support and protect the unborn and the women that are involved in abortion. And this bill, Senate Bill 1457, does both in several ways. So I was excited to learn about some of the loopholes in Arizona's law that, that we could really close and address. You know, um, following what other states have done in making sure that children, unborn children with genetic abnormalities like, like with Down syndrome or, or other diseases that are, are that people live with every day, like cystic fibrosis. And, and well, the, the list is, is very long, but just focusing on Down syndrome, for example, I mean, when so many are being snuffed out throughout the world, I mean, in Denmark, about 95% of Down syndrome babies are killed by abortion, and about 100% in Iceland. Here in, in the United States, it's up to 67% of these precious individuals, and we've got to stop that and address it. So that was the main, the main part of the bill that really got my attention, but there are other issues, too, in the bill that are very important. Well, and Senator, when you mentioned the genetic conditions, I yesterday I was with um, Kristen Hawkins, the founder and president of Students for Life, and her precious son, Gunner, was with her, who has cystic fibrosis. And you see Gunner as this, you know, life-loving, um, healthy, well, I mean, you know, healthy, but with cystic fibrosis, you know, c conversant young man, um, maybe 12 years old, and you think, that's a child that others think it's okay to snuff out his life in the womb. Yeah. It, it's tragic. Well, the other part is, you know, makes me think about this bill is the whole issue of chemical abortion pills and what's going on. Um, speak to that about why this bill matters that in the, how the abortion industry just, you know, okay, it's okay to send these pills through the mail. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people just don't understand uh, what chemical or medication abortion 
does. It's uh, kind of minimized as just described as the pill <laughs> sometimes and uh, the abortion pill. And really, you know, when you look at the statistics of what happens during a chemical abortion to women and what the potential um, outcomes are for women when they are left to themselves taking this, even prescribed and then given through the mail and not interacting with a physician um, throughout that process, it's astounding that we're allowing this right now. And the, the rate of chemical abortion through the mail is, has, has gone up because of COVID. So addressing that, prohibiting that is going to save lives. Um, women uh, that have these uh, chemical abortions are four times, uh, have complications four times more often than through a surgical abortion. And, um, and with ectopic pregnancies uh, that happen routinely, not not every time, obviously, but if a woman hasn't been um, uh, evaluated and by a doctor and made sure that that's not uh, that's not happening, she could she could potentially it could be fatal for her. So addressing that is really critical. And to see, you know, our opponents minimize this issue is really. <laughs> You know, it's it, it's beyond um, unbelievable. Uh, you, you just wonder what what are what are people thinking? What are they thinking to uh, to allow this to continue going on in Arizona? Well, they're not thinking, or they're thinking evil thoughts. Uh, describe for us what it was like to be on the Senate floor when a number of Democrats that, of course, were going to vote against the bill, when they made comment after comment against the bill and really falsehoods. I mean, what's it like to sit on the Senate floor and patiently listen to all of that? <laughs> I'm not very patient inside. <laughs> Let me just tell you. <laughs> Yeah, at least, at least, at least, yeah, at least when we're listening to it, we can yell at the at the screen now. You know, we can yell, um, and I did some of that. But go ahead. Yeah, and, and and you see me shuffling papers a lot because I'm just you know making notes about one thing after another that they bring up that are patently false, misleading, and it's it's very angering. And so by the time I get up to to explain my vote, it's like I you know just trying to um, get myself to focus on one or two things. Otherwise, I'd, I'd probably go on way too long and be part of the problem. But um, it, it's difficult. It, it really is. I, I, I don't know how to describe it except to, you know, you've got to watch one of these debates. You really do. And uh, to appreciate um, how off-base to say the least, uh, opponents are, and the proponents of abortion, how far they will go to defend abortion and not even address issues that are so cut and dry. Would would this vote have happened today? Would this vote be on the way to the governor if you had not won your election last year? No. (laughs) Right. I mean, that's what... You know, for people to understand, elections matter. I mean, the bill passed with 16 votes in the Arizona Senate today, all 16 Republicans, 31 Republicans in the House, and that is the bare minimum that it takes to pass a bill in the Senate or House. So, of course, in your primary last year, you defeated Heather Carter, who often didn't cast pro-life votes. Uh, I don't, I mean, I don't think 
former Senator Carter would have been in support of this bill, or at least not in support of all of its provisions. Oh, I agree. I agree. And, you know, she may have even uh, been a chair of a committee that wouldn't even allowed it to come to a vote or go to her, you know, uh, go to her committee and be heard. Um, so I, I think we would be looking at an entirely different um, landscape of, of bills, especially on life and family issues. And this one is a prime example. We would certainly not be making progress. That's such an important part for our listeners that elections matter. For all of you in Legislative District 15 who walked neighborhoods in June, July, August, who um, did whatever you could to help Nancy Bartow defeat Heather Carter, this is a victory that you can rejoice in. Now, of course, Governor Ducey likely won't get the bill until Monday, and then he will have five days, probably until Saturday, I guess, a week from Saturday, May 1st, to decide whether he's going to sign it or veto it. I think we're very optimistic that he will sign it. But before I, I forget the point about elections mattering, I just have to share with our listeners that one of the Democrat representatives stood up and railed about in Legislative District 4 that former Representative Peyton had lost her race to Joel John, and because of that one race, this bill was passing in the Arizona House. So once again, elections matter, and Representative Joel John was someone, just like Senator Bartow, who worked extremely hard in being out in the district, going door to door, you know, campaigning hard to win that election. And on our cap action side, we were very active on behalf of Representative John and Senator Bartow. And so this is where it matters. Like, it makes me think of a former Speaker of the House who used to tell me, you didn't lose the vote today. You lost the vote the last election. And he's right. And so um, thank you, Senator Bartow. But before we close out, we have to it's been a roller coaster of a week, I guess I would say, uh, because earlier in the week before today, before Thursday's um, win on 1457, uh, something else happened with the 1456 with this, uh, with the Parents' Rights Bill and Governor Ducey vetoing it. So just thoughts on that Parents' Rights Bill, why you thought, why, why you still think that it was important to see the Parents' Rights Bill on sex education pass the legislature and get signed? Yes, yeah. Um, and, and I do want to thank everyone for, for their support, um, allowing me to, to continue to serve and uh, I mean, everybody in CAP at CAP was so supportive. I couldn't have done it without without all of your help. But 1456 was a uh, the veto was tremendously disappointing. I we didn't see this coming. None of us saw this coming, and that's probably the most disappointing part of it. You know, um, we we believe and have worked with uh, Governor Ducey for years on pro family issues. And to not have any clue that he had issues with the bill, um, that he could have communicated, his staff could have communicated with us um, before just issuing that veto and then and then coming out with an executive order, which was very strange. Um, this bill is critical. Um, I, I can't count the number of times I hear from parents who are so frustrated because they cannot get information from their schools about what their child is learning on critical, sensitive issues like sex and sex education. Um, they know, we know that uh, CSE, Comprehensive Sex Ed, is becoming rampant in our schools, including in Arizona, and it, its fruit is reaping terrible results. 
and children are becoming tra- traumatized due to er- too early, too much uh, sexual information. And this bill is critical to, to help rectify that, protect children, and restore parental rights in a real way. Well, and you're, I mean, the way you put that is absolutely right, that, you know, when you have a disappointing veto like this, it's not about a win or a loss or which side won. It's about the children and the parents that lost out. It's about that K through four sex education is not going to be stopped now in Arizona, and we know that it is happening in public schools. But tell me, um, is there any hope that, I mean, is this, is it over for this session or any hope that we can share with listeners about is there, and know it's late in the session, can, I mean, it's not over till it's over, but can this come back at all? Well, you know what they say. <laughs> no bill is truly dead until session ends with signing die. And so uh, there is a lot of concern about this bill dying the way it did. And so we're not closing the door on this effort. We're looking at uh, several options. And I, I'm, I'm working diligently um, with members on this, getting their input, and I think uh, I, I think we need to keep pushing on it this year. Um, an executive order, uh, as strong as it sounded, it doesn't give, uh, it, it hasn't the same force of law as a statute, not even close. And so uh, this issue is so important me and to so many of my constituents that have been watching it and have been so involved in uh, supporting it throughout these last months that uh, I'm not ready to give up. And we thank you for that, that we know that um, being a legislator, that, boy, it takes um, a lot of tenacity and perseverance. And this is one of the strangest, most challenging sessions I've seen. You and I have been at this a long time, but I can't think, another, I think, can't think of another session that uh, is as unusual as this one is. But it's um, we're glad that no bill is ever truly dead. And we're so grateful for your leadership. Um, we hope that you get some rest before going right back at it um, next week, because we know that there are many issues that you're continuing to advocate for, including trying to make sure that we can somehow reach women that are actively seeking to have an abortion with life-saving alternatives. So thank you again for your leadership and for all you're doing on behalf of certainly um, unborn babies, but also their mothers, and to reach their mothers, because we know when we reach women with the facts of abortion, more are going to choose life than choose abortion. So thank you again for your passion, for your leadership. We're so grateful you're there. Thank you, Kathy, and thank you for all you all do uh, supporting me and other pro-life legislators down here. CAP staff is awesome. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you. Have a, have a great rest of the day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I have so much respect for uh, Senator Nancy Bartow. She's uh, really a hard worker. I want to talk a little bit more about those bills because it was just two days ago that the opposition thought that they could really kill this bill as well because it was right on the heels of the veto. And so there was a lot of talk about that, and they were uh, debating it on the House floor. They were supposed to debate it on the Senate floor, and then things got a little ugly. And Lisa, I know you were watching, and you were noticing some of the stuff that they were doing. They were looking up the rules and stuff. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, they were just um, delaying delay tactics to try and put it off uh, for some plan that they had um, 
conjured up that they were trying to work. And I think that's pretty typical. Um, uh, but it was interesting, like I was telling you, they had their rule books out um, and they were literally, you know, flipping through the pages of their rule books, just calling out like rules and the point of order and trying to make anything apply so that they could dodge this and, and kind of make a circus out of it, really. Um, and as we know, uh, they do it a lot for their Twitter feeds. They do it for their message, uh, you know, their message that they send out there for their reelection campaigns, for their constituency that they really work for. And um, it's it's sad and it's a shame, but that's the way the game is played. And they also left, right? Didn't they just leave? <laughs> <laughs> Which that was just flat out mean. So the Democrats thought they could stop the pro-life bill of 1457 by leaving because there was not a quorum of Republicans there. But what that meant was one of the legislators who's been recovering at home from being hit by a car um, you know, while he wasn't in a car, I mean, to put it that way, it meant that he had to drive in from Casa Grande and another member that's had health issues this year, that rather than being able to vote from home and be available, they drove all the way to the Capitol on short notice to be there because of the antics that the Democrats were playing. And to me, that's just flat out mean. Yeah, and then they shortly after that, they decided, you know, they tried sort of the same tactics with Senate Bill 1485. That's the early voting bill that would clean up the early voting. Uh, right. The yeah, all of a sudden they list. reappeared on that one. All of a sudden right. they, oh, no, they could be at the Capitol to try to fight that one and make and score their points. When they tried to shut it down immediately and said, you know, they wanted to suspend. And, and I didn't know quite what bill they were talking about that day. They were quite um, active. But um, the first time it was ours. And that's why they left. Um, and that was unfortunate because, like Kathy was saying, then it was a threat that we wouldn't have a quorum in the other house. And you have to have a quorum to hold a vote. And so, yes, a lot of scrambling on both sides. So is this typical? I, I mean, is this a typical <laughs> year? I mean, these, what does this tell you? Do they always do these sort of shenanigans? I don't even know how to answer because I would just say the lack of civil discourse is at an all-time low that the antics and the tactics of the left, I think they're still flat out angry that they did not take over the House and Senate. And so they're trying to just be as disruptive as they possibly can. And it's unfortunate because this is the business of the state. They take an, uh, you know, they take an oath of office that they're, you know, to try to do their best, I would think. And they're really not serving their constituents. And the lack of, you wanna say, okay, a fair fight is okay or a good discussion on the merits of an issue where you're bringing out the merits of the issue, that, you know, a real debate, uh, that's good. But that's not what's happening. It's it's just untruths and whatever. It's like throwing whatever they think they that might stick and they, they just throw it out there. And they're trying to repaint the narrative and they're driving it to their own needs, which is larger and, um, you know, nationwide uh, against um, our Supreme Court and all the things that are going on, um, trying to change the narrative and make every bill about life uh, accuse that of the one that's going to be used to try and um, overturn Roe v. Wade on the federal level. And I think that that's why they're doing that. Um, they're just inflating it, every single one that comes up um, and, and blaming it on that to, 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 you know, point to that. Yeah, exactly. And then it, um, at the same time, they're hitting it from the other side as far as on a national level, all this work to try to pack the Supreme Court. So now the... Uh, 
the legislators or the uh, Congress now is working on a bill or has already introduced a bill to pack the Supreme Court, I guess, um, try to raise it from 9 to 13, I think it is. And at the same time, President Biden has um, moved with a, a working group to study term limits and also packing the Supreme Court. What are the chances? Well, I, right off the top of my head, I think that they have uh, about 36 men and women on this committee that the president has put together. Um, and, you know, the broad talk about it being fair and, and doing it deliberately and out in the open, except for what you notice is that the chair of the committees married to Biden's senior advisor, um, who handles his image and his uh, communications. <laughs> and on the other side, her, the co-chair is a woman who uh, fought a bill, uh, an abortion bill, um, I I think it was in South Dakota. She was a co-author of a 26-page letter to fight um, a pro-life bill in South Dakota. So right off the top. <laughs> yeah, some of them were uh, yeah, involved real, with Planned Parenthood. Real, had, real balanced, yeah. right? And to think that the uh, Nadler, uh, excuse me, Representative Nadler and... Um, and Markey, they're, to think that their bill wasn't kind of orchestrated at the at this time, and they, they, they've come out and say that it wasn't, that these are independent efforts. Um, well, you know, I was born at night, but not last night, so. <laughs> but if they are able to somehow, um, you know, get 13 on the Supreme Court, what is that gonna do? I mean, that's gonna change things for how long? I mean, yeah. for the next for the next 30, 40 years. I mean, it will totally undo what the Trump administration did in appointing justices who at least commit to interpret the law, not make the law. Now we don't know what justices Roberts and well, Roberts was not a Trump appointee, but you know, for Kavanaugh and Gorsuch and Amy Coney Barrett, you know, we're still not sure how they're going to rule on some issues. But at least we know that they have a track record of at least trying to interpret the law and not make the law, and we will have. If, if Biden gets his way, then we're going to have more justices like Kagan and Sotomayor and Breyer. I mean, the pressure is already there on Breyer to step down so that Biden can appoint a more liberal judge who's a lot younger so that they, they don't lose that spot should the election change next year and there be a stronger re Republican majority in the Senate or in, certainly in 2024. Yeah, the Supreme Court was not supposed to have this much power, I thought. Yeah, good point. <laughs> That's a great point. <laughs> anyway, we should uh, wrap up. It's getting kind of late, but um, we will pick this up next week. Thank you for listening to Engage Arizona, public policy for daily life. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe, rate, and give a review on any podcast platform you use. For more information, visit azpolicy.org.